Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. All right, back here this hour. You know, look, I hate to do uh, – I don't even want to talk Mets anymore. If you heard the Open, I, it's, I, I just can't do it. It's too painful to me. But we are going to do it in maybe a different little spin as we welcome in our friend Adam Fisher in studio here. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter, at Adam G. Fisher. Adam, of course, formerly of the Mets front office for many years. What year, 2004, you started there? Uh, 2003. 2003 you started yeah. there uh, yeah. right up until recently. So you worked with a bunch of the guys who were there and, and all that stuff. You get great insight um, to the front office and if you want to call you could call both adam and i 800-321-0710 over the course of the next hour let's start with sandy alderson who you worked with very closely i saw your you know what you had to say about him on bnny and by the way adam now does stuff on sny pretty regularly you could see him over there on baseball night new york show that airs at 6 p.m on sny you were on the night that sandy you know made his announcement uh it's sad for the the personal reasons first, uh, obviously health and all those different things. And you were there the first time you went through this, correct? I was, yes. yes. And, and now you, you see this come up. So Sandy seems like a guy who and certainly, I mean, I didn't know him as well as you certainly, but he seems like he keeps all those things close to the vest. Nobody there had even an idea. Definitely. I mean, that's that's Sandy's personality. He's uh, certainly not quiet, but definitely, definitely, like you said, just to use your words, close to the vest, private. Uh, relatively private person. So the first time, uh, you know, we were going through that whole playoff run, and there's that famous picture of him sitting watching all of us on the field after we beat the Cubs, just sitting there kind of contemplating. I think that's an amazing picture. I didn't know at that point that he was sick. So, uh, you know, I, and I kind of among a, a handful of people in the front office who, you know, interacting with him in the baseball department regularly, uh, none of us really knew he was sick. So it was pretty surprising and he keeps it close. So I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if very few people knew over the last couple months that, uh, that this was going on. And it sounded like nobody outside of maybe ownership yeah. they didn't have an idea. And, so obviously our, our well wishes to Sandy and, and look, we could, I mean, you could rip a GM, a manager, a player. It's, it's never personal or at least for the most part, it's never personal. And I feel like it hasn't been personal with me. And I personally, I love Sandy. He came on baseball night in New York a couple of times over the year at SNY. We've had him on the radio show here. He's, he's always had fun telling me to tone it down and all those different things. So well wishes to Sandy first and foremost. But Adam, to see a man of Sandy's character stand up like that and not only announce that the cancer has come back, but to announce the way that he's taking the leave of absence and the way that he did, I mean, you don't see that. Guys go kicking and screaming, fighting for these jobs, have to get fired. He basically owned up to it. You, I mean, the accountability, the integrity, the the character of Sandy Alderson, remarkable, even in this situ- in this tough situation. Definitely. I mean, he's just uh, he's he's a very very good person, honest, uh, blunt. You know, his self-assessment, uh, very, just very honest with, with everything. I, I don't think there's, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the team, yes, of course, he's out there occasionally. Well, he was out there occasionally bobbing and weaving and, and answering, you know, certain questions without necessarily giving out that much information. I mean, that's just kind of the way of the GM. Uh, but yeah, any, any, any person running a, running a, a sports organization has a little bit of that in them. But when it comes to, uh, you know, you see his comments over the years, he can just be blunt is just a great word. And, and, and that's what he really was with himself. I, I think also, you know, you think about the health and you think about this season, uh, and just how 
brutal it's been. And, you know, you said you didn't want to talk about it. I, I don't really blame you. Um, yeah. This isn't <laughs> easy. Right. It's not easy for me to talk about. I mean, it was great. You know, you mentioned uh, gotten a chance getting off the, uh, you know, getting out of the front office and, and getting uh, a little bit, doing a little bit of media like this and doing SNY in right. the first, first two weeks. Like, wow. All I get to do is talk about, you know, uh, wine and roses. For, yeah, right. Uh, it was amazing, but you know now the team has has just been been brutal for however two months, and it's it's not that fun or not that easy to talk about. And from Sandy's standpoint, when you have this kind of health problem, um, as it keeps getting worse and worse, the team, I mean, do you want to deal with that and subject yourself to that level of stress when you're dealing with cancer at you know age seventy three or seventy two or whatever? I I don't mm-hmm. want to offend sandy if he's <laughs> I, he's in his 70s young so, 70 71 maybe i'm not sh- quite sure exactly but but uh but that's not necessarily something you want to deal with speak to because i i didn't learn about it until i read the baseball maverick have you read that book by the way the baseball maverick mm-hmm. i mean you worked with him so you didn't necessarily yeah, have to i did i did read the book but yes. i didn't learn about some of the inside stuff until i read that and one thing that jumped out was his competitiveness and some people you can see it with them, with him, I never really saw it out in front and center. But you read the book, and then maybe you start to get to know him a little bit. You watch him a little closely. Speak to the competitiveness of Sandy Olson. Well, he he may not want this to get out there, but he is really he can be tough to watch a game with sometimes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Give you got a good story, a clean one. I, that I you don't know, honestly. <laughs> Um, but but fans they like that because it's relatable, right? The fans want to know that somebody there is making decisions or kicking and screaming. That's why you always hear the manager yell and scream. Yeah. But Alderson, he, he's he's very composed. His public face is very composed, and he's he's ninety five percent of Sandy is extremely composed, and he keeps it. You know, we've already said close to the vest. He he uh, he's not particularly emotional. Um, but when you're watching a game with him, he gets he gets fired up. I now, mean, real fired up. Now, will he get so, like? Will he get on you guys, or is he just in general? Like, and what? Just he'll get on. Yeah, he just get you know, good play, bad, good play, bad play, getting on us, getting on everything. Who so. was the guy? There was a reliever. I forget it. Uh, oh man, uh, Herman maybe. There was a reliever years ago that was referenced. There was a story in the book that was referenced about that. Watching the game with Alderson and he was just losing it. Oh, uh, Gonzalez for men. Yeah, yeah there Gonzalez you go, man. <laughs> I wasn't there, but yeah, right, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's it's that I, type of stuff. Just you know, he'll he 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 definitely um, is extremely competitive. I think that's so. going to be missed. I mean, not to say that the guys now, and we'll get into the new regime and and moving forward We're in studio with Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member, for the next hour. Follow him on Twitter, Adam G Fisher, uh, or at Adam G Fisher. Well, we'll get to all that moving forward. But I just wanted to start with Alderson, and you know, because I I know that it you know he said leave of absence, but ultimately we know that that's the end of his Mets tenure here. So you wish him good uh, health and all that stuff moving forward. But he did a lot here for this organization. Organization first, or not the first one of two GMs to get to back-to-back playoffs with this organization. Yes. I don't care about the wild card spots or any of that. I don't want to hear about Omar's guys. Sandy had his imprints all over this team. He deserves credit for that. One thing with him that maybe drove me nuts, especially in the beginning, was the patience. What was it like working for a guy who, at least from my perspective, seemed to be, I mean, as patient as you can possibly? Be? Sometimes it paid off. Sometimes maybe it didn't. Yeah, I think I think that's just a fair assessment. I, I it's it's just like anything, you know. Sometimes you want to be a little more aggressive, and and sometimes you want to lay back. And I think it's it's human nature when you're working in that environment. You know, everyone has their own personality, their own ideas, and you know, you back you back sort of the the GM's philosophy. I, I had worked for Omar for you know six years. He was more aggressive than Sandy, uh, but I think I think one of Sandy's biggest strengths was just. 
he really was good at gathering and processing information. And sometimes that, that, that can take some time to be methodical, to make sure every, every decision was very carefully thought out. Yeah, which is something uh, you, you, you would know. want. I mean, you can't yeah. be a rational fan like myself and do this or do that. So he yes. was a great, you would hope, balance of that. Now, again, maybe at times a little too patient. Right. Sometimes, I mean, look, you know, sometimes maybe you want to be a little more aggressive. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think that I certainly voice my opinion at times about that, but, but for the most part, I really liked his approach and, and just really making sure that, that everything, everything was covered before you made a move. Yeah. Smart guy, uh, competitive guy. And, and again, I think the greatest compliment would be his integrity and his character because I haven't seen that before in sports. Certainly. I don't even know if I've seen that in life necessarily to where he could just stand up there and basically say, based on merit, I don't know if I deserve to come back on the same conference that he's announcing that his cancer is returned i mean you talk about a stand-up guy of great character and that's why he tried to bring in high character guys as well doesn't always work out that way but you can respect that trying to bring in high character individuals talking in studio with adam fisher former Mets front office member on the other side i want to get to now the trio that takes over here and what that's going to be like moving forward get into the deadline. we got a lot of stuff we could do. Uh, this year, obviously, is over, but we could talk about the manager and where certain things went wrong. There's a lot to get to with Adam Fisher in studio uh, till 8 o'clock with us here, filling in for Pete McCarthy in the Sports Zone. Sal Akata, The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. And for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Back in the Sports Zone, 800-321-0710, live in studio with Mets' former front office member, Adam Fisher, was there for years, since 2003, uh, just left a couple years ago, and now doing some broadcasting. Uh, you could see him on SNY on Baseball Night in New York. You were talking about Alderson the other night. Anything else you want to add on Sandy? Well, I just think that you know he came into a very tough situation. And, um, you know, with the Madoff, uh, with the Madoff thing going on mm. and the team had had some success, of course, we had the 2006 season, but then, you know, things went downhill, 07, 08 collapses, two really disappointing seasons and Madoff. So things were really rough and the organization kind of, uh, just lacked credibility at that point. And he came in and he's a, he's a giant figure in the game. If you think about, what he's done for the last 40 years. He's a borderline Hall of Fame executive. And, you know, he got the club to the World Series. We came up short. I, as a as a front office member, I knew we needed to win. You get to the World Series, you got to win it. Yeah. You I know, because it's so hard to get back. No matter what, look at the Cubs right now. Everyone was anointing them a dynasty. They did win it, though. Um, so all I would say is that, you know, on the balance, Sandy brought this organization back and had some real success and we only remember kind of how it ends and these last two years look I, I suffered through it last year as a front office member uh this year has just been flat out brutal and you know sandy said in this press conference he's as disappointed as anybody but i think uh you know like you said sal very high character guy and i just hope he gets remembered for the positives and the good things that he brought to this organization even though it has unfortunately ended badly yeah and i think he probably will especially you know when years from now maybe even next year or two years when you start to see some of the prospects come up right we talked about that last time you were on how right now it's ranked 27 of 30 and then all of a sudden that could change the same way where omar got fired then years later oh look at all omar's omar's players and sandy probably the perfect guy at that time to come in with that credibility and turn this thing around. His patience in the beginning was necessary for years where they were in evaluation mode trying to build it back up to the eventual World Series and then the following wild card. We know he's done with the Mets. 
you think he's retiring, or you think we see Sandy in a, uh, a major league baseball role at some point uh, moving forward? Well, I think it you know it certainly depends on his health. I think in the immediate future, it sounds like he's got a good prognosis. And right. He just he just has to get healthy, but. I don't think uh, I don't think that competitive spirit has been extinguished. Agreed. Uh, yeah, well, you know, so wherever that leads him, uh, if he gets a chance to run a team again, or if he's just an advisor, but he can help he, the game of baseball. Definitely, if he goes back to MLB, there right. are a lot of different things that that he could potentially do uh, to help the game uh, moving forward. But I think the immediate thing is just just get healthy, and uh, you know, he was he was a lot of fun to work for. It was a privilege to get a chance. Uh, to work for him with his background and and uh, and his talent as an executive, and I think just speaking to and and look, I, I know there's a lot of fans out out there who are upset about this year, and they they're maybe not that excited about about me sort of lavishing praise on Sandy. Um, I understand everyone really respects his character, uh, but but the thing is that 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 patience that we talked about it really paid off. You wouldn't have Noah Syndergaard. Uh, now you know Zach Wheeler hasn't quite panned out, but th- some of those trades where we hit maybe not home runs but triples, uh, th- that was Sandy's patience. I mean, he was really good at at managing that type of situation where he had a player that you needed to you needed to trade and uh, and, and talking to different teams and and weighing the offers and and talking to the whole front office. And, and look, every GM is going to have there's going to be good moves, bad moves, good signings, bad signings. Okay, he talked about rebuilding the bullpen and never worked out like that for whatever reason. He missed on the majority of bullpen signings. That happens, but the idea that this is all on Sandy Alderson in particular this year is ridiculous. Is it his fault Joanna Cespedes can't get on the field? Is it his fault Michael Conforto hasn't produced? Is it his fault Noah Syndergaard can't take a start because of bad finger? Those aren't, I mean, you could blame him for Jay Bruce, I guess. You could blame him for Todd Frazier, although I don't think Frazier's far disappointing, whatever his expectations would be. There are things, Vargas thinks it was a bad sign, and you get on for that, you get on for the manager. But there are things that you cannot blame Sandy Alderson for, and those things, to me, would be the biggest culprits this year, would be Familia, Conforto, Cespedes, Syndergaard. Those four guys, really the same deal as last year. Those guys not competing to to their best of abilities. Those are arguably the most important pieces of this team. That's not on Sandy Alderson. That's on them, the players. No, absolutely. I think. I think. Unfortunately, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, and right. you know those signings didn't work, and those players aren't playing well, and the manager is struggling, and we have a situation where you know you're. Whatever you are now, 14, 15 under. And this team is certainly more talented than that. I mean, some of that talent's on the disabled list, as you alluded to, Sal. But, I mean, uh, it, it it makes you scratch your head a little bit. I'm not trying to say at this point that they've been so bad, you can't say that they should be good. But they should be better than this. Oh, my goodness. They should be better. They can't be 14 games under 500. I don't care who's there or not. And, by the way, I just thought of something. You were there when they thought – because it seemed like Alderson didn't even really want Cespedes. After they – I mean, last minute they traded for him, which turned out to be huge. Had to. Got locked into that because the Wheeler and Gomez deal fell apart. Um, but they wanted then Zobust. I mean, what were you thinking wanting Ben Zobust instead of Yohannes Cespedes? I don't care how bad it is with Cespedes moving forward. Zobust to be the guy? Wait, Come on, okay, Adam. Okay, time out. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> first of all, I've was never not... discussed this with you before. No, no, we yeah. ha- we've never discussed this. So, okay, so um, it wasn't an either-or type proposition with Zobrist versus Cespedes. It was just that... Uh, we expected the Cespedes was going to play itself out, and that we would have a shot. And you know, certainly we ended up we ended up bringing him back. Sure. But Zobris was the number one target just because. Of, well, okay. So what happened after the Cubs signed him? 
Yeah, I know the Cubs, but the Cubs were built differently than the guy you guys was, were. The guy was he, he was, was the World Series MVP. I know. I had and, he, and what was he the year before? I mean, if the Royals didn't have him, we might have beat him. Uh, but if we might have beat those guys. If you were bringing right, if he if you had him and and they didn't, or, or if they just take him off the Royals, but, he was unbelievable. But here's the, here's the thing: you were you lost Daniel Murphy, who was also unbelievable in the postseason to get there, right? So no Murphy, and then there was the uh oh, is Cespedes coming back? And all the the reports were it's going to be Zobust, and that was my idea. Zobust, how do you uh, because what? because he would have been a bust had wow. it been him. Now, if you're telling me it would have been Cespedes and Zobust, then maybe. I could have got behind that. It's hard for me to now call him his real name. Sure. Well, he was pretty good. That I mean, look, if you want to call him a, a bu- he didn't have a good year last year, but it, no, no. the last I checked, he was better this year. I should clarify. He yeah. would have been a bust here. I mean, certain. I mean, look, he's, he was getting older. We just really liked the presence that he brought to the club, his approach, you know, the, the, the strikeout to walk ratio and the success that he had had uh, in the postseason with the Royals. High on base guy, high character guy, right. ability to play multiple positions. I'm fine really with all a that. Lynch, really a linchpin for two World Series teams back to back. That that was what we what we really liked about him. And we knew though the four year deal was going to be a little iffy. That it was going to be a situation where he was going to regress. He's getting older, right? And the Cubs saw that last year, but they happily traded that in right, yeah, for the for, World Series for a World Series win where he was huge. My question for you is not that. The, because I don't, I agree with you. The four years, you can't worry about that, right? If it would have resulted in a World Series, but it would have had to been him plus. So if you're telling me you're bringing Cespedes back and you're getting Zobrist, I'll be nice. Then I can understand that. But it seemed to me, and you maybe you're clarifying this a little bit. It seemed to me that it was going to be him, and that was it. He would have been the centerpiece, and losing Murphy and then Cespedes. Well, he was our, he was the guy we went after first, and we were aggressive about it because we saw him just like the Cubs. As kind of a a linchpin type piece, who maybe is more than I mean, he's a pretty good player and had good numbers, yeah. but maybe brings more than his numbers to to the the team through the ability to play multiple positions and grind out at bats, which is meaning, something you didn't have, yeah. which is something we didn't really have. Taking uh, taking pitches, fouling pitches off, really making a pitcher work, and then getting on base or hitting a double, whatever it may be. Uh, if you look at how we allocated our dollars, we did end up trading Jonathan Neese for Neil Walker, so that was a bit of a wash, but we ended up spending... But that wouldn't have happened, obviously, if you signed Well, Zobos. that wouldn't have happened, but we did also sign Asdrubal for, I don't... Which I, was a great... Yeah, that was a great six, six, seven million, I think, which which wouldn't, considering how you could have structured Zobrist... You could have done him in Cespedes, is what it comes down to. Right, well, then not that's sure, different. not sure we would have necessarily... We could have probably found a trade for Nice. And use that money to sign Zobris, then, then potentially Have sign Cespedes as well. So I don't think it was an either or. It was just more like this guy's the priority. We're going to try to get him first. And Cespedes wants a ton of money. We're going to let that play out and see where it ends up. And okay. we're not so sure we're going to be in the game on what Cespedes wants. And it didn't end up being that way. And so that's different. Maybe is it too late for me to take it back? I've been calling him <laughs> Zobust and ripping it for, uh, for years. Well, but who knows? Maybe he, he's certainly not a New York guy. Well, that's, you know? well um, exactly. Once he chose the Cubbies over the Mets, you yeah, don't want him anyway. That was frust- what was frustrating for that whole thing was that, you know, when you make Sometimes you're able to keep things quiet. It's not that easy in New York, but sometimes you can. Um, the Zobris thing completely blew up, and uh, we thought we had a pretty good... Going into the day that he signed, we thought we had a pretty good shot at him. Uh, the Cubs were able to just com- keep it completely quiet and kind of use us as a shield and jump in there at the last minute 
and sign him. And Terrible. clearly they had the geographic advantage. That was huge. We both had really good teams, um, but they had a massive geographic advantage and they were able to sign him and they were able to do it quietly. And, you know, even a big city like Chicago is a huge difference. We're not talking about media skill here in terms of keeping things quiet. It's it's so challenging, New York, even versus Chicago. While we're on the topic of that, and, and we'll get to the Mets' uh, new trio here of GMs and the deadline this year and the manager and all that before we say goodbye to Adam. He's in studio with us till 8.05. Adam Fisher, of course. Follow him on Twitter, at Adam G. Fisher. What was the deal with Murphy? Was there was it split on that? Now, I'll be fair. For years, I killed him. Okay, I don't want to watch Daniel Murphy. I can't take it anymore. He's not a good player. And then just when he starts turning it around and tears the cover off the ball into the postseason in 2015, that, conveniently, is when you guys decide to let him go. Was there split decision on that? Was it just overall assessment on Murphy not being a, you know, look, he wasn't a good defensive player at all, terrible on the base pads, didn't hit with power until that point. Give me the insight to Murphy. Yeah, I think it was all those things. I mean, certainly, it was just more of a changing, look, we weren't ignoring what was going on with with the postseason. I mean, the guy carried us. He was unbelievable. Um, I just think it was a calculation in the sense that we thought he he had turned a corner, we thought he had become a better hitter. We maybe made a miscalculation in just how real that whole postseason was in terms of him taking it to being an all-star type starter. We thought he was going to be uh, still be a really good hitter, but I, I, maybe meet in between, if that makes sense, between sure. what he what he was before and what he was in the postseason. And by the way, hasn't been good. Obviously, this year's been banged up. So well, not- that that was another big thing. He was always injured. Uh, he was always banged up with us. That was a big consideration. The defense, uh, big consideration for us. So just taking the whole package, and we did offer him a qualifying offer, which, you know, if he had accepted it, we would have happily plugged him back in, back into the lineup and back into our team. Um, but it was a combination of, of those things, the injury proneness, the, the lack of D and, uh, and just the fact that we, we bought it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think anyone, anyone in the game, look, he signed yeah, two, right. he didn't three get for 36. Now that's not an excuse. But I don't think anyone in the game was necessarily buying that he was Babe Ruth, and you know, <laughs> and he was, and he was. So good for him. Oh my goodness! You know, I yeah. mean, and that's just that's. Look, you want to say that's Mets luck? That's. I mean, I, I, I when I talk about Twitter, I, I finally got into it on talk about Justin Turner. I mean, oh, yeah. just like it's eight years later, and uh, you know, I guess it's not eight years later; it's about five years later, and we still got to talk about it. But here's one thing that never gets brought up that I didn't I didn't tweet about is that. The guy signed a free agent contract with the Dodgers, what, 70-something, at least $60 million. So it's not like uh, the, the, if he could have signed with anybody else. I guess at the end of the day, the Dodgers got him for a couple years, and they got, they got great production. Then they paid through the nose to keep him, and they're getting good production. But it's we had a couple years of control on the guy. I guess the narrative continues that he's just been this – great player for the Dodgers, and the reality is everyone just overlooks the fact that the dude was a free agent and signed a huge contract. It's like he might have walked. I mean, we might have decided... We didn't want to resign him, or he'd be taking up a ton of payroll space. But don't you think he got better because he went there? I mean, he was decent here. He wasn't that type of player. Didn't they going home to oh, the West wasn't Coast? Even. But I mean, he changed his swing, and uh, there was some evidence of that the last last month or so with us. But again, it was more along the lines of we wanted to. I've seen these sort of Twitter criticisms that uh, didn't need to non tender him, and right. you know. Uh, replaced him with, I think someone said Omar Quintanilla, 
But, you know, okay. You so, can, though, you can understand the fans' frustration where they see, you know, a bit player, a bench player, essentially, in Justin Turner, leave and go become an all-star. Daniel Murphy, who fans, for whatever reason, loved him for years. But until he actually started performing in, in the World Series in 2015, he was always overrated. And then, of course, he goes and leaves and becomes, as you said, Babe Ruth with the Nets. And that is frustrating for the fans. Oh, I, I, I no question. It's frustrating for us. I mean, right? of course. <laughs> But like, but but here's the thing. Here's here's just my point with Justin Turner. The guy wasn't good with the Mets. You right. Know, he turned into an all star somehow. That's like if you want to talk about, uh, you know, baseball prospectus will put a projection. Okay, you're like you hit your 75th percentile projection. Let's say uh, that means you know your 50th percentile is basically what you would expect a guy to do based on his average for his career. Let's right. say, and if you hit your 75th percentile, it's a really good year. Your hundredth percentile, it's you know, it's it's an amazing year. Your Justin Turner is at his like one hundred and fiftieth percentile. There's like a two percent chance that that what happened with him was was happened happened. It's in, it's in, it's crazy. Did he real quick before we break? Did he uh, have a bad attitude? I know he was taking some shots the other no, day. He was on. I mean that 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 was one person um, who spoke. Uh, completely, uh, that whole thing about him not hustling—that that, that right. was a, that was no calculation of the decision. Hustle was not an issue with Justin Turner. He always played hard, so that that's been a narrative. Yeah, I mean, the attitude a little bit maybe, but not not anything. I mean, he wasn't a great player. We were looking to clean out the roster, right? And right, you know, the, the difference between him and Omar Quintanilla is one guy can play short. Now, if Justin Turner hit the way he hit, he can happily go stand at shortstop, you know, um, a la Wilmer Flores. Right. But, but, uh, but, but he wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing that, so you want to get a real shortstop in there and clean out your roster. All right, we're in studio with Adam Fisher. We'll take a break, get back to the current Mets, although that was really fun for me, Adam. We should have been doing more of this uh, over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. In studio with Adam Fisher, Mets front, former Mets front office member, Adam at Adam G. Fisher. Uh, is a Twitter handle. 800-321-0710. Then I'm going to call if you want to talk to either of us. It's Sal Akata in the Sports Zone filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Back in studio with Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member, current uh, baseball analyst for SNY. You can see him at 6 p.m. on Baseball Night in New York on select nights or select weeknights. Let's get into the current team. Unfortunately, we got to talk about it. Last night was just a disaster again. I mean, the Mets now 14 games under 500. The use of Mickey Callaway or the Mickey Callaway's use of the bullpen, Familia and Swarzak, and then you heard the post game press conference. I mean, it doesn't end with this guy. He's not shown improvement uh, at all. I mean, uh, you would think he'd learn at some point this year. It seems to me, Adam, it keeps getting worse with Mickey Calloway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I know the last time I was on with you, uh, we talked about giving him benefit of the doubt and, and hoping that he improves. You know, it's not it's not improving, and it's it's uh, it, it's reflected in the record. And you know, the worse they play, unfortunately, the button pushing continues to be. Again, he doesn't have a lot of options. This this uh, this record is certainly not his fault, but. But the button pushing is not helping. I mean, it's not, you know, last night's a perfect example. Uh, I think, you know, I think Ron Darling alluded to this, uh, that, you know, generally the manager will go up to his relievers and ask, are you available? And uh, you can kind of take, they don't necessarily want to say they're not available. You know, you have to kind of read the tea leaves a little bit. Uh, And in this case, you know, the guy had, had, had had a, a high effort twenty eight pitch inning in two thirds the night before. 
I think you got to use your judgment there. But he doesn't necessarily have great options. I mean, Swarzak hasn't but still, been good. Then he leaves familiar in the game. He's walking the ballpark, giving up hits left and right. Yes. Anybody with eyes, I mean, you can see that he's not getting it done. Get him out of the game. Swarzak's not up and ready. Then he rushes him in, and then he gets ornery in the post game, or at least right. uh, sarcastic in the post game with the media asking a legit question. Well, I think that's that's one thing that. Uh, he's gonna have to watch himself because, look, you know, the media can be can be a big factor in in uh, painting you in a positive or negative light. Uh, that's just the reality. It's a huge media presence in this in this market in this environment, and uh, you know, you get you start to get combative with them. Uh, you lose whatever small amount of the benefit of the doubt you uh, you have, and then the floodgates open and who knows what 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 gets written what gets out what mistakes you're making look 14 um, games under he should be showing up at those post game press conferences with a bag on his head let alone <laughs> telling people how baseball works i mean the guy yeah. did bat out of order this year he had a team that's, that's, a that's i mean come on it's embarrassing and I, again i like callaway personally i think he'll learn from this season and grow at least you would hope that that would be the case but at this point he's been completely overmatched it's just it's been a lot of moves that have not worked and you wonder you know okay if he had done something else would it have worked uh, I, you know that it's up for debate but i think i think what you can certainly say at the very least about last night is that Swarzak should have been up earlier i don't necessarily think he should have been up right away when he you know the first batter got on base sure. i think that's a little bit of a stretch but the fact that he seemed rushed and you know the way the the outcome the way the game finished i think it's a fair criticism that he should have been up earlier to at least have a full warm up and not uh, not appear rushed when he went in there. What's up with Jerry Familia? I mean, they, they were talking about possibly trading him, or they're still talking about trading him. But what value does he have right now? He can't get anybody out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It, it, he's he's had injury issues. He's been very inconsistent since uh, really since the World Series. Since uh, you know, that was a tough workload for him. It's been a couple years. He was in 2015. I, I've said this before. I think he's your MVP. I mean, he was yeah. unbelievable that year. But he was he was ridden really hard. I mean, if you look at his numbers, <laughs> Terry went I mean, to that well. Terry went to the well a lot. And before um, the All Star break, his yeah, arm almost fell off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you know, so uh, if you look at his numbers, particularly for a closer, his usage is just off the charts. So you're seeing kind of the result now. The usage he was injured last year, so it wasn't it wasn't crazy. He got some rest. I mean, you, look, he, he being injured isn't necessarily the way you want to get rest. But at least he. But at least he, you know, he backed off, and the workload was was limited last year. Now he's just kind of trying to find himself. I think it's just last night doesn't help, but it's really important for this next, you know, three or four weeks for them for him to pitch better if they're going to get some value out of him. I know they're saying we we could shake it up quick and and you know we're going to make some trades, but when it comes to Familia, um you know, he's a good pitcher and if they want to actually get get close to full value for him, he's going to have to pitch better, show he's healthy. They have a month. That's honestly that's plenty of time. You know how opinions can change. Pitchers get hot, hitters get hot. It's plenty of time, but they but they got, they're going to need that time the way he's been pitching. You think they should break this whole thing up here? Give me Degrom, Syndergaard. Would you do those two? Would Absolutely you not. Under no circumstances. Yeah, I I mean I agree with you. I, I don't even I get that Rico could come out and say you know we're going to yeah. listen to all offers. You'd be foolish not to. But you, you come on, you can't trade either of those two guys. No, I I don't think you can. And I think you said it. They're just being open minded. They're just trying to see what is out there and. I guess if someone just absolutely knocks it out of the park in terms of an offer, you can think about it. But 
look, you, you need to. You're talking about two, and Syndergaard hasn't been healthy, but you're talking about in Degrom, one of the top five pitchers in the game. When Syndergaard's healthy, he's probably one of the top ten pitchers in the game. People forget they just because he hasn't yeah. pitched in a while. And, they're like, eh, you could trade him, but they forget what he was a year ago or and, two years yeah. ago. And this recency bias in terms of his injury history. I mean, yeah, the fingers things. It, it's it's rough, it, but you know, look, he made a, a, a kind of a not necessarily very smart decision and overthrew in a game. When you know he was having some injury issues, and he and he and he popped the lat, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have long-term injury issues. I mean, he was the one healthy guy on this group, you know, during the the 2016 season when he pitched the wild card game. People have short memories. For me, I'm not that concerned about his health. He needs to get past his finger. But when he's healthy, he's awesome. So we just don't necessarily remember that. We're we're really enjoying Jacob Degrom now, and Jacob's the better pitcher. He's more consistent. Mm-hmm. He's awesome too. So look, unless you're going to be getting, and I keep saying this, and the Yankees aren't trading him, uh, you know, Glaber Torres type players, you're not trading them. You need they are franchise players. So to trade them, you need a franchise, a potential franchise player back plus more. And there aren't that many prospects like that around baseball, and teams aren't going to give them up. You got Ronald Acuna, mm-hmm. you know, with the Braves. You, we already talked about uh, about Glaber. Uh, you know, Walker Bueller's a really good pitching prospect with the Dodgers. These guys aren't being traded, right. you know, and and it wouldn't just take them; it would take a package. Yeah, it would take two or three at least of them. That's why it'll never happen, nor should it ever happen. Quick break. We'll finish it up with Adam Fisher on the other side. Get into how this new trio of GMs is going to work the rest of the way and what it means moving forward for 2019. Salakata filling in for Pete McCarthy on the Sports Zone, the Voice of New York, 710 WOR. Now you're in the WOR Sports Zone, filling in for Pete. Here's Sal Licata. Right now, your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Mets take on the Rays on July 6th at City Field. Be caller number four in honor of Wilmer Flores, my favorite Met. 800-321-0710. You'll be the winner. Plus, you'll be entered to win our grand prize weekend with the Mets in Pittsburgh, including round-trip deluxe motor coach transportation, hotel, and tickets to all three games against the Buccos in Pittsburgh. Full details at 710WOR.com slash Mets trip. We'll give another one of those away next hour. Finish it up right now in studio with Adam Fisher. Let's finish up on the trade deadline here. The new trio has talked about trying to shake it up. You and I talked about it last time. They need to just change the look of this team. Not we're not just talking about uh, you know maybe Syndergaard or Degrom or obviously the free agents that clearly anybody would trade at this point. What do you think they mean by trying to shake this thing up? I think you know it's been discussed a little bit. Maybe they'll look at they'll look at trading Stephen Matz or Zach Wheeler. Those guys have some value right now. Uh, just be open minded to to other things. Uh, teams have always liked Kevin Ploiecki. This is just me talking. Really? I, I don't, yeah. Well, based on what? He's just a good prospect. It hasn't worked out, but, I mean, but teams value still there. like him. I, I mean, look, they don't have a lot of catching depth, so they're probably not going to move move him. Oh, they should though. Um, and get another one. But you know, look, there there's just different ways. Maybe Frazier. Uh, but what I would say is uh, ratchet down your number one. Ratchet down your expectations because teams are not giving up a whole lot as we saw last year we had a we had a legitimate strategy teams weren't giving up their top prospects so we were going to replenish the system with power relievers and i felt like we accomplished that very well um so you know number one teams aren't giving up a whole lot for rentals so familia's got to pitch better as druble might get you something um the other thing is you want to have sandy style patience in this case in the sense that you don't want to force anything. You know, if, if you don't get the right move 
or uh, the, the right offer for someone like Zach Wheeler or Steven Matz or whoever it is. You you got. I mean, those guys are still legitimate, productive big leaguers. So you hold on to them and you see what you can get down the line, and you potentially shake up the team in other ways in the off season. Agreed. And plus, in the off season, maybe you'll know who the guy in well, charge sure. is, which leads us to the th- uh, the trio here: Rico, Ricciardi, Manaya. How do you see this playing out? Can this? I mean, I'm assuming it's just going to be the, the the end of the year, but how do you see this playing out till the end of the year, and then what happens in the off season? Mm-hmm. Sure, I think um, I think uh, you know these guys have worked worked together, uh, JP and John, and you've worked the, with all of them. Obviously. I've worked with all of them. I worked I worked with Omar uh, when he was GM. I, I worked uh, his whole tenure with the Mets, so I think six seasons. And uh, John was his assistant GM, so they're and they're good friends, so they're they're pretty comfortable with with each other. Even though Omar just kind of joined back. You know, uh, six seven months ago, uh, and JP and John have worked together for the last seven plus years as uh, as Sandy's uh, top top lieutenants. So uh, they're they're all really comfortable with each other. Uh, JP and Omar have uh, both have scouting and development backgrounds, so their skill sets kind of kind of overlap a little bit. But but they both bring very different perspectives and different personalities, and they're going to be doing different things. From what I've heard. You know, Omar's going to be more involved in player development and continue to do international stuff, which is his uh, strength. I mean, that's what he should mm-hmm. be doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And JP has is you know more major league scouting, uh, being a sounding board with the pro scouting staff and 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 helping uh, helping out in that area. John is kind of the nerve center, and uh, he'll continue, I think, to be the more the point man because he's in the office, he's doing all the administration, he's overseeing essentially overseeing the different departments. Uh, so, so he'll, he'll kind of be the nerve center of it all. And, and they'll all look, Sandy had to, I know fans kind of scoff at this, but this is how it works for teams. You know, they, they, they need to get ownership's approval. So instead of it being Sandy who goes to, to the Wilpons, it will be the three of them. Yeah. Which makes sense. If you, and I happen to like Rico now, look, I don't know him the way that you do or the way the Mets organization does enough to hand him over that job, but I, I happen to like him. I see some good things about him. I always felt he at least had a feel for the fan base. Smart guy. What would you do? You, Rico would be your guy. You think he's capable? Absolutely. I mean, well, I'm certainly, I'm biased. I, I worked, I worked with him for, uh, for 14 years. So, I mean, I, he's, he's a, he's a tremendous person, ex- extremely intelligent. Uh, and he's his own man. I mean, he's. I understand that. Okay, fans are upset with how things have gone uh, these last couple of years, but he's he's learned from Sandy, and before that, he learned from Omar. And he's his own man. He'll he'll put together his own mix. He's obviously he's got JP. He worked with Paul Depot before. Uh, some other really smart people, Sandy Johnson, Brian Lamb, uh, who've come along over the years. And he's his own man, so so he can he can come up with his own philosophy, meshing all that together and moving forward. So I think just to kind of assuage maybe fans who think okay they they want change and nothing right, would just be blow different, it up just, to, yeah. just blow it up for blow up sake. And he knows this organization better than anyone. I mean he's been he's been at the forefront of all of this for a long time. Whether you want to take that as a positive or negative, considering how how things have gone over the last 15 years i was a part of that too look these things happen it can be it can be a challenge in this market um but john's really really well equipped he's as good a candidate for this job as anyone in baseball i feel really comfortable saying that yeah good and we'll see how it plays out hopefully he gets to audition here the rest of the way and and does a good job at the deadline then we'll see what happens come next season adam fisher of course former member of the mets front office as you've heard for the last hour you could see him on sny we'll get you on again soon maybe the all-star break or something like that we'll have you in one of these off nights. Pleasure. Thanks Sounds for the insight. And I, maybe next time, too, we could debate.
debate more about the moves that you made or didn't make in uh, 2015. Yes. And, all that stuff. and we, we can talk Wilmer Flores also. Yeah, yeah I know. exactly. Got to uh, get into Flores but, too. But I, uh, I just thank you for having me on again, Sal. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to go on and uh, and talk talk to uh, the Mets fans out there. And uh, I know it's been I know it's been a rough year, and just uh, just got to try to grind through it. At Adam G. Fisher on Twitter. All right. Uh, after the news, we'll get back to reset. Little Mets, Yankees, your calls, 800 321 right now, the news.